welcome to a new episode of the brand called you today i have an absolute industry icon with me a friend of over two decades mr dwarkanath welcome to the show thank you thank you mr uh, dwarka is the chairman of uh, gsk healthcare he was director human resources of gsk he has been associated with the max group and he's won innumerable awards dwarka you're one of the tallest hr leaders of this country Tell us about some of the highlights of your professional career. So first, let me make a qualifying statement. I I am not sure whether I am the tallest. I think, you but are. Uh, I I enjoyed uh, working with the people and the people management. Yeah. Uh, that's a business of life for me. Yeah. Uh, it's a very exciting or fascinating journey as far as I am concerned. I have spent in this profession over forty eight years of the corporate experience. um i have not changed my name i have not changed my profession being hr industrial relations and so on the titles have changed but the company which i have been associated with one company namely for majority of my time significant tenure of my career is with glaxo smith kline consumer healthcare but that company has undergone four type, four change name changes mm-hmm. within the four years so while i continue to be what i am but the company's name has changed I think this given an exciting opportunity for me. Uh, always there are there are threats and there are risks, but at the same time, if you look at half glass full, it's very positive. Uh, so my career of forty eight years, I mean to segment into three aspects, which is very interesting from my perspective. I started with the Indian Business Group, one of the uh, number three ranked business group at that time, when I joined in seventy one seventy two as a management trainee of DCM. Uh, and later, you know, with GlaxoSmithKline for nearly three decades, and then with the Max Group for over twelve years. So the span is uh, quite amazing in the sense working for the Indian Business Group in the era of uh, License Raj versus a multinational company which was evolving in India uh, with a strong brands, yeah. and then moving into the Indian uh, modern promoter uh, and the and the sponsor with which I've associated. So these are the three phases of my career. Uh, you know, I think there are many people who have influenced me. I think, firstly, I need to say my parents have supported me, but I'm not just saying for the sake of saying it as a son. Yeah. But my father had a lot of influence on me uh, in my uh, evolving stage. And in what way? In what way? He taught me what it is when I was very young. I suppose. Uh, what is this tough love is? Because mm-hmm. he's a judge. and i was a young hr professional working in a factory and whenever i used to come home i used to work in a small town uh, when I, my father who happened to be judge there in andhra in the coastal district in a place like rajamandri when i used to come home i used to see uh, when i used to step out from the morning to go to office i used to find a lot of people asking me please help my husband please help my brother please help my son it was little bit because i used to take very tough decisions based on certain uh, processes and after complying with the rules uh, but you know they they used to lose their jobs all that stuff so i you know it used to little bit worry me i was young am i doing the right thing am i do, this is the job which i need to do my father is a judge and he used to give life imprisonments maybe death sentences maybe but we used to dine together in the evening and i never seen next day i used to see in the paper that he has given a rigorous imprisonment 10 years a life but you know he never no feelings in him 
So I asked him, how do you manage? How do you cope up with mm-hmm. this? He said, you see, look, you, as long as you're given a duty, you're doing as per the norms and be fair and ethical, then you see the outcomes, you cannot be controlled. So this is what I learned it later from mm-hmm. the mentors also, mm-hmm. the art of tough love, tough on issues, but soft on people. So, you know, let's talk about, you just said that, you know, you started off in a factory and with three business groups. I remember when I, when I had joined, you know, in, in the uh, late 70s, yeah. most companies used to have a personnel manager, yeah. has, used to have an industrial relations manager, which were very different skills. And over the years, this has evolved into the human resources function. Yeah. How have you seen this change happening? Um, a phenomenal change. Yeah. When I started in early 70s, it's more welfare and administration oriented with a lot of focus on industrial relations right. because it, industrial relations confined only trade union, labor and management relationship, more firefighting and more reactory in nature. That was the role of HR. Yeah. Later, as you said, personal management and industrial relations, this is where more we started a little bit of partnering with the businesses. Uh, but, you know, the, the only later stages, which I said is amazing change. I think one of the functions which has undergone a transformation change in last two or three decades is the HR, human resources management, which, as you said rightly, it's become highly integrated now. It starts from a from a from a from a welfare orientation to to a governance and managing outside stakeholders mm-hmm. so to sum it up i would say first one is a reactory stage then was a partnering stage now you are trying to be uh, more futuristic in terms of strategy and so on interesting so when i was reading uh, about you one of the things that is said is that you have helped to define culture in gsk I want to ask you two questions. Number one is, what is culture? And number two, um, how do young companies build a strong culture? Um, you see, I would put it in my own way. Yeah. What we have been um, given and asked to practice and which we practice to a large extent. Uh, I think it's a team effort, but HR has played a facilitator role. Uh, that is very important when you're bringing a transformation change, mm-hmm. bringing a culture, especially when the companies are going through it, to mergers and acquisitions. It's very important because the cultures can be four types. Culture, you can retain your old culture, you can acquire a new culture, you can bring in integration culture, some of the parts from here, some of them here. But, you know, otherwise you can bring a totally transformation culture. Mm-hmm. Whether SmithKline, Beecham or GSK adopted the last one, which is the transformation culture. Try to bring a new culture, forget about the past, let us build for the future to align with the vision and the mission of the company. So we have defined culture. Culture is the way we work and where we do business. And you can say it's always uh, embedded with sets and beliefs and shared purpose. I think this is where I think uh, SmithKline, Beecham and GSK has gone one step further. And I'm very proud to say that uh, Firstly, the Smithline Beecham culture, which is aligned to the vision mm-hmm. and the mission of the company, is brilliant because we believed in two things. Everyone committed, everyone contributed. Wonderful. And develop self and others. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you really want to help others to mentor, coach and train them, you need to firstly acquire the skill to develop. That is a wonderful learning, you know, which is said on two simple 
the last one which i would say is as long as you think the organization is hero individuals may play a key role but ultimately it is the organizational effectiveness which makes the organization to become an institution than merely existing as an as a company which makes a lot of difference um, the you know before i come to the startup the last bit i want to say about culture because i'm very passionate about it uh, we have done quite a lot of work with the effort of the leader at that time and as as well as the leadership team and others hardwiring the soft stuff i think this is the mantra which we use it means hardwire or those processes and policies and procedures soft stuff is the values with set of belief if you say that you know i am very transparent are you demonstrating the transparency a lead from example it is which is important mm. coming back on the startup i would say first articulate your vision don't just copy it from a website Correct. and articulate your vision based on your requirements yeah. and your architecture and then you know verbalize it communicate it and then you know practice it i think this culture has to start from the top top if it is not a top down culture it will never percolate to the other levels of management and then you need to practice and then you need to measure it yeah. i think if you don't keep scoring you are just practicing and apart from measuring you need to reward the right people Correct. that means if you say that i recognize performance and then you have to merit meritocracy has to come into play it's not just mere tenure mm. but is value added to the organization very true so you know as you were talking i was thinking when i when i joined itc mm. uh, i was transferred first to hotels division yeah. and i joined when it was just about starting so we had people who had come from ashoka hotel someone had come from oberoi someone had come from taj and i remember in those days ravi bhutlinga yeah, yeah. who i have a lot of respect for his whole thing used to be guys you have brought culture from different places but you have to subsume it yes into the itc culture and i thought that was a very fascinating experience i used to work with that's true that's mm-hmm. true i mean which also reinforces what i'm saying in terms of gsk because when you're going through so many mergers and acquisitions yeah. i mean you need to create that culture this is sense of purpose yeah so you know as the chairman of GSK healthcare um, and you have led HR in so many capacities in multiple groups you are now beginning to see or we are now beginning to see that HR is now much more a core function that supports the CEO and is part of all the CEO's decision making teams uh, uh, as compared to the older days when the HR manager used to be um, yeah. a function yeah what has changed uh significant change i think hr used to be seen as a sort of uh, firefighting at the most partnership as i said but they never seen that can be a form part of the strategy group of the organization and a key cxo member and key cxo and for me i think i used to say it for many years and i strongly believe it i stood for me cxo or the or the md or chairman is alone there i think you need a somebody who is a credible activist Correct. and a facilitator for whom we can bounce his thoughts mm-hmm. and who can be also is a confidant uh, so this is where you know some of the, it depends on two factors firstly the uh, culture of the organization and the style of leadership mm-hmm. i mean both will play an important role as you know sometimes a great organization but a poor leadership can True. ruin that True. sort of a setup 
I'm fortunate to be associated with GSK, though nearly three decades as, a, as an executive and again being associated continuously. So my association with GSK Consumer Healthcare, out of 60 years, I have an association of 40 years. You know, so one of the hallmarks of this in terms of human capital management, Ashtosh, if I can say, is that they always had HR professional in the board of GSK over 45 years. And I, I'm on the board of this company for the last 21 years. So, which is a very rare HR giving a C at the center uh, right from 1975 is something amazing that give a, given a sort of a signal to employees that HR is not a mere support function, but they hold a strategic focus even four decades back, mm. which helped me also to develop myself to be seen more as a business manager uh, rather than just looking after HR. I never considered, to be honest with you, for the last 25 years, you know, with say since early 90s, I never considered myself as a as a mere HR guy. But, you know, I always be involved in the business decisions because either be restructuring yeah. or be to keep, keep keeping retention of talent mm -hmm. and leadership development. And so that takes me to my next uh, logical question with having worked with thousands of people. You know, the Gen X, Gen Y, yeah. Gen Z, and now the millennials, as people say, the entire alphabet soon. Um, how have aspirations of young people started to evolve over the last 30 years? What have, what have your experience been? Uh, it's a, a tremendous experience uh, because uh, uh, I dealt with uh, who were elder to me, my, my father's age, mm -hmm. uh, my son's age, and my, I'm now going to enter the fourth generation, grandchildren. I think it's an amazing experience, but I value their their outlook, yeah. their approach, because sometimes we try to dismiss them saying, oh, they are different. Every generation is different. I mean, you are different from your father. Yeah. Your son is different from you. Right. And so is your grandchildren yeah. tomorrow. But the only thing is that evolution happens perhaps once in 10 years. In a decade, there used to be a change. But now it's more rapid because of the globalization, technology, and the ability to take risk and entrepreneurial skills these guys have as compared to us, uh, whether me or you, because we worked in a great companies. It's, a, it's, a, it's for many reasons we said this is a safety net. We can't afford to lose it. But these people are willing to take chances because there are more opportunities around. Mm. So I think it's an amazing experience for me. Mm. Uh, I really encourage them because for me, a lot of learning happened in last more than two decades, to be honest with you, through reverse mentoring and reverse learning. Because their ability to challenge you and ability to take risk, they wanted empowerment and they wanted, of course, instant recognition. But at the same time, they are also willing to, uh, you know, put their hands and work hard to make it happen. That's very well said, reverse learning. Yeah. Very few leaders at your stage in life are going to say that at my seniority, I'm nobody to learn. And yet, over the years that I've known you, you've always said, I'm constantly learning. I think continuous learning is something. I think in India, we suffer from A-square syndrome. Mm. Uh, age and authority play a vital role. <laughs> how, how come I'm 48 years old, experienced guy, 
oh, you are not even 25. How can you tell me Correct. what I'm doing is right? Correct. I think if you want to be relevant, I suppose you are also relevant in the current today because you need to understand their psyche Correct. and you, you have to get into their levels so that if you're not relevant and if you're not contributing, they, they, they will not listen to you. There is a subtle difference, if I can say, positional authority versus personal credibility. Correct. Whether you have a title, I've, I've said it in some other form, titles and designations, they do not matter beyond a point. Correct. It is the value you can add to it. I suppose whatever you hold, I will come and ask you for advice. Most, a lot of guys who work with me, they have moved up, they become CEOs, global level, with the GSK others. They, they ring up, sir, what should I do? Mm -hmm. Hey, do you think I should accept this job? This comes because that is the personal credibility you have established okay. that you can add value. Add. So you need to be relevant. Mm -hmm. If you're not relevant, I don't think I'll be doing this interview with you because uh, people would not care for it because that's more important. That is true. That is true. So, you know, uh, an interesting question I want to ask you was that, you know, you have been a one company person most of your life. Your son has stayed with GSK or PNG for a long period for 19 of and of years. I look at my sons, one with 13 years with MX, one 11 years yeah. with PNG, only job. And yet, young people today somehow believe they've got to keep moving from one company to the other. Yeah. What are the merits of staying with one company? Uh, merits of staying with one company has got plenty uh, significant. At, but I, I would just give a sort of a caution or a disclaimer here. Uh, I am not, I am a cradle to grave scenarios. Mm -hmm. I mean, life tenure with one company is whether yeah. you, me or yeah. many of us, mm -hmm. my son is there for 19 years, so yeah. is your son. Mm -hmm. But you know, it may not happen to uh, everyone okay. because earlier the opportunities to move on are less and we had this syndrome of the economic safety yeah. net, which yeah. is not there. But I think most important here, as to which I would say, though we all worked in one company, we have not worked with one job. Correct. I think, you know, in four companies I've worked, if I said four times, whether Horlicks or BGM or Smithline or GSK, so is your India overseas and so on. So you worked at different locations, different jobs, be it your son, my son, worked all over Asia, Pacific and India. So that is a challenging assignment. So you might have worked one company, but you worked with different assignments okay. and positions. Okay. But if you get that opportunity, I would stay, stay with one company. But if you're not getting... Loyalty should not be decided by mere tenure in the current environment. Uh, while I'm saying don't change the job for the sake of saying because of the peer group pressure, this is a, some of the myths people. And secondly, somebody advised one of my management trainees when she went to Alma Meta come out of 40 in the batch, very premier business school. At 35, I've changed the job in first three years. How come you're not changed? That means something wrong. She came and put in papers. She got into job. I was advising don't change for the sake of changing mm. unless you feel a compelling reason to change. Correct. That's Correct. my advice. Correct. Very interesting. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, when it comes to networking, yeah. you know, it's very important. Like a lot of people come and ask me, how important is networking in my career? And I often ask them, how do you define networking? And they say, get to know more people. What are your thoughts on networking? The networking in the current context has got a phenomenal advantage. If you want to have really understand, uh, get a concept of outside in perspective, I think you need to do networking. For me personally, I was benefited uh, by networking, I suppose, because by 
by being engaged with people. Networking doesn't mean partying. Correct. I mean, that's the myth people have got. Correct. I think networking doesn't happen when I need something and when I keep on chasing you. Mm-hmm. Networking happens when you have the connect and when you want it, it's more a reciprocal, a win-to-win situations rather than one-sided. But it has got many, many advantages because this will definitely have an organizational effectiveness because it helps. I just want to give you one instance where networking helped. It's a case where we were competing with other multinational, but not in India, in one of our neighboring countries. There was something which to do with marketing and sales issue. My CEO um, called me one day. Do you know anyone in this organization? Because um, marketing sales guys have no clue. Mm. I said, I know the HR. Mm. So I want to have a meeting with the CEO because he also looks after the same area. It's an issue which can be resolved across the table. I set it up because I knew the HR Correct. person. Correct. So I think, you know, these are the advantages having a network. When you pick up the phone, I say Dwarka Asutosh. Other person said, who are you? Mm. And then, you know, you lost it. You know, yes. then you can't have a further dialogue. I agree with you. I agree with you. So one more question uh, before I move to the next part, which is on you personally. You know, thousands and thousands of people watch our show every day and a lot of them are startup entrepreneurs. They struggle with how to set up an HR uh, function, HR processes, norms. What should they do? Um, It's a great question. Um, I believe that any startup companies, while they focus on the growth, the financial capital, they have to also focus on the human capital. And secondly, see what is your vision and mission. It's not something you made a cut and paste from website. But what you really believe as a sponsor, as a promoter, or the, because he is the driver of this uh, business or strategy. Then you need to align you with the people's strategy. If you have created that culture, and you know you have focused not only on the business growth and financial capital, but also in human capital, mm-hmm. it becomes easy because when you go for a startup companies, your idea is to get a very rapid growth and value to it. Mm-hmm. But if you want to really do it at that time, you have you don't have the bandwidth to cope up with. When you start up, when you can have few people, but when you started scaling up, mm-hmm. you don't cope up with your human capital skill. Then you have. So my suggestion is that. And also on the aspects of the governance aspects, then, you know, the whole thing, the paradigm shift takes place, size and the scale of the organization also is a challenge without proper human capital, they may struggle. So I think focus on culture, focus on human capital, don't think about the later, the architecture should be clear, the implementation should be phased, depending on the context of the business. So, you know, Dwarka, you've had an incredible career of 48 years. You know, you worked with three major companies, mostly with GSK. You know, you've led uh, multiple types of businesses, companies, HR. Uh, you're the chairman of GSK. What is the secret of the success? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's nothing secret. I think um, personal resilience... Uh, and will to do well. I mean, I think, you know, secondly, perhaps I'm accessible and humble and I'm blessed to have this support. I think I have to say my parents at my evolving stage and my wife, uh, who is tremendously supported 
as well as my family, my children, which helped me, I think, you know, uh, to grow up. And then, apart from the organization, be it Dr. Charitrama, Simon Scarf, or mm. Anandjit Singh, mm. I think, you know, where I benefited is from my fraternity. Mm. I think that is where I learned a lot, I think sometimes, and my teams. Yeah. Wonderful. So a question that I ask all my guests, uh, because somehow people believe that when you're sitting at that talk, you've never had a failure. Um, what has been your biggest learning from your biggest failure? There are many failures. Uh, I think once you reflect and introspect yeah. later, you said, if I have to do it again, will I do it again? That is the best litmus test. Okay. I think, you know, if you say, I mean, okay, just to spend some of the things what I've done, perhaps very clinically, legally this is the right or wrong and i didn't realize at that time there are gray areas it's not only a tough love there is a human element there uh, perhaps you could have if you thought about it you could have had alternative options did i explore it perhaps not it was still young i want to achieve something that one later in the life you will realize that those are the things which will not take you you need to give a human touch to it it is not just black and white. So that is one of the biggest failures. Maybe the second one I have to say, attempted bureaucracy. Okay. I think, you know, when you work in a very professionally managed organizations, everything, if you're a manager, you need to have a cabin with door. If you have a joint manager, you have a cabin without a door. These are very rigid job valuations, grading, which I feel in the current context have gone for a six. So perhaps we could have been more proactive at the time. Do you have any regrets? I have regrets in the sense to put it the other way. Perhaps uh, some of the things I could have done better. Uh, that's only time alone. So perhaps some of the factors. Maybe I have not done that sort of introspection. What perhaps I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. That's my regret. Okay. And when was the last time you did something for the first time? I think after so many years, maybe after 30 years, I've now started playing golf. Oh, wonderful. Which I, I was always in my mind, but some, for some reason I couldn't do it. But I've just started now. So then you and I have to play soon. Yeah, yeah. We have to play soon. So, you know, a uh, lot of people are young managers, young individuals watch us and we'll be hearing you and watching you. Um, any advice to young executives like you started off in Rajamandri and you had the benefit of your dad? Any advice you would give to them as they start off the next 30-35 years of career? Uh, I think, uh, okay, if I can say a few things, few sessions yeah. for their consideration. Yeah. Um, uh, don't burn out. Uh, pace it well. I will just come back on that, what I mean. Uh, number one, uh, when you say try to be humble and grounded, mm. uh, you have a you have a great opportunities. This country is growing. Technology is great. We have a great human capital. They are young and dynamic. They, you should take risk. But the risk is also should be balanced risk, not undue risk. Mm -hmm. And the number two would be, uh, people will say, don't do sprint, but do marathon. I don't say do sprint or marathon. I would put it that way, you know. I'm tempted to quote this lady mm -hmm. athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, who has done something very, very significant. Mm -hmm. She ran 1,500 meters mm -hmm. and she ran 10,000 meters. Wow. And this is the first time an athlete, male or female, has done it in Olympics or 
world championships. Mm -hmm. Her name is Sifan Hassan. Mm -hmm. So this is what I would say to youngsters follow. There's no point in sprint, you'll burn out. No point in creating marathon because agility, speed to market change is important. But you need to space yourself from a one mile race to a 10,000 meters race. This is where I think you need to. So go step by step, but you need to go with speed and and then be aware of outside in perspective. What's happening around which will have an impact on you. Very nice. So my last question to you, you know, such an amazing career so many things you continue to have such an incredible amount of energy to do all kinds of things what next for you other than golf <laughs> um i think you know i do believe i had an exciting and i enjoyed my i think you need to enjoy what you're doing which i enjoy i want to focus more on the uh, professional um, development of young managers and this is one of my passions. I'm able to do it partly. Uh, try to share your experiences through storytelling to the business schools, universities, and to the young minds. I'm associated with a couple of professional bodies to to give some sort of uh, storytelling to them so that some of them can be valuable tips to them in the future. So that's my focus. Okay. Nothing... Uh, professional or commercial, but it's more to do with the society and people. So I've got one more question that just comes to my mind, yeah. and that is um, superannuation. Yeah. There are a hundred million people who are now over 60. You have managed your transition beautifully, you know, as an advisor to Max and yeah. has continued with GSK. I am reinventing myself and yet there are so many people who do absolutely no planning for the second innings. And when they reach 60, I often tell people that you will be, your post-superannuation life will be as long as your working life is. What are your thoughts on how should people plan? It, it, it is true. Um, I have not planned fully, but it just happened. Mm -hmm. But it worked for me better. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great point, uh, Astos. I totally agree. The longevity has gone, active life is can be 85, 90. So you have a 30 years. This is very important. Post-retirement planning, unfortunately, we have rules. You need to superannuate and you give opportunities for youngsters. Okay. But you, you can carve out your uh, future roles, mm -hmm. uh, partly to do with a sort of social sector, mm -hmm. as well as to give a valuable advice. As long as you need to be relevant and contextual, okay. you can always have a Demand. I mean, it's not that people would like to love to have your wisdom, but in order to make it, you need to be relevant and contextual. Don't think I'm retiring. Age is a number. Okay. It's not, not only relevant number, but it doesn't mean that's the end of your life and career. I think uh, you, if you plan it, you, planning, as you said, is important. And secondly, you need to adopt. You have to cope up with change. Okay. You can't say I was a magic director. I should be treated like a magic yeah. director. That mindset shift in the mindset, if you're important and if you plan a little bit, definitely I think people can have a career beyond 60. Wonderful. Sudarka, thank you very much. Thank you. It's Astros. been an absolute honor to have you on our show. Same here. I'm really and humbled by you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. 
You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.